Thank you, and be seated. <coughs> Before we uh, go ahead with backpack blessings, uh, we're about to have a backpack blessing video that we want to share with you. Uh, as many of you know, it's World Hunger Sunday, and uh, Lisa Lacey uh, and Vanessa Gorney, who are two volunteers who began in the ministries, and also the assistant principal Jerry and I are going to be sharing with you how this ministry is so boys and girls, let's watch. Lady from Statesboro came and spoke to the women of our church um, here at a ladies' luncheon, and she talked about the program that they had called Backpack um, Blessings, and I just cried. I literally had to just look for clinics because I just could not stop the tears, and I knew that I needed to be involved in this ministry. And when we did, um, when we had our first meeting, um, there was a position open for a purchasing coordinator. And I almost came up out of my seat because I knew that I had to be the purchasing coordinator. And I got busy on it right away and I'm still in that position. Now, um, since I'm behind the scenes, I don't get to see the recipients a lot. And um, occasionally I'll get to fill in for someone that's uh, delivering or um, handing out the, the uh, backpacks and I get to see the kids then and one time in particular I remember a young woman came with her report card and was excited that she had finally made a C and I thought how amazing that is that she had finally made a C. Well that child that was our first year that we were doing that and I got to see her at the Easter uh, party we had this past time and she has grown taller than I am. Uh, she's uh, very healthy, looks fabulous and walked up to me and asked me did I remember her and I had only seen her that one time so to know that she only saw me one time and remembered me, remembered my name, wanted to know did I remember her, of course I did because her story impacted my life so much and made me realize just how important this ministry is. As far as where we get the food, the food bank is our primarily primary place um, that we get the food. Um, we also get it from local grocery stores. Um, we get it from Williams Food Service, which also supplies food for our church. Um, as far as the kind of food that we get for the children, um, we get peanut butter and jelly once a month. Um, we do cheese crackers. We do ravioli, um, Vienna sausages, basically anything that's easy for the children to open. Um, and then they love pudding cups. Um, that's one of their favorites and we try to include that a lot and um, just several different food items that we include each month. Um, basically what I do is very behind the scenes, but I really enjoy hearing the stories um, that come back from the schools and it's very heartwarming um, to hear. And one of my favorites has always been one that Lori Rose shared not long after we started this program. and. Um, she talked about how the little girl would, um, when she saw her bag, um, she would just run and she would grab it and she would say, this is my happy day. I'm Tammy Corbin, the assistant principal at G.A. Bailey Primary, and we've been privileged to enjoy Backpack Blessings for a couple of years now. 
Um, we've had the opportunity to see how it has touched our children's lives um, academically as well as physically and emotionally. Um, emotionally has been the biggest difference we've seen. The kids seem to have more self-esteem with themselves. They're proud of what they get. They look forward to this and it's really helped them in their academics as well. Um, the teachers see a difference in our children and the way they respond in everyday um, activities, especially when it comes to being well-nourished and feeling like they're more part of their class and their siblings um, seem to enjoy as well. We've got several that have smaller siblings at home and, and that has been a big help as well because it's not only helping that one student in school but all the children in the home. Parents are extremely appreciative. They've um, expressed what a blessing it's been for them but above all it's our children that we see um, gaining from this and it has been a huge, huge blessing. One of the things I wanted to do was sort of like have our Sunday school classes sponsor children and sibling groups so we could um, constantly bathe them in prayer um, as we're meeting their physical needs, also address their spiritual needs. And um, so I'm excited that we're going to get to do that this year. Um, Sabina's gotten permission from the guardians and the parents and we're going to start to uh, sponsor these children. And um, so things will be coming through uh, the Sunday school rooms where we're going to get some that have pictures from the yearbook and then um, reach out and, and feed these uh, children that are um, down on their luck because they're a member of a household that, you know, don't have the things that we have that we take for granted. Recently, one of our school counselors um, shared with Sabina um, about a little boy who at first refused um, a bag of food, and we didn't really understand why. And then this school counselor um, was um, noticing one day um, that the little boy at lunch was stuffing food down in his, his shirt, down in his pockets, and she found him doing this, and she asked why, and he said, because there's just not enough. I mean, he was, he was hungry. And um, she again offered him the, the bag, and she asked him, why did you not um, accept this earlier? And he said, well, I, I, I don't have a book bag. So needless to say, this situation is definitely going to be taken care of. We're going to get this child a book bag, and he will be able to go home every weekend with food that he can use and enjoy. And it's just so gratifying to see how these children, it really makes a difference. Um, you know, the um, teachers have said that just after one weekend of having their um, backpack blessing, that they can see a difference in that child's behavior and how they perform at school just after one weekend. And you know, it may not just be just the fact that it's a little extra nourishment, but also just knowing the fact that somebody cares enough um, to give them something and to, to make a difference in their lives and show them the love of Jesus. And that's the reason we do what we do. Um, that's the reason this is such a needed ministry, and I'm so grateful to be a part of Backpack Blessings. Um, boys and girls, this is Backpack Blessing and World Hunger Sunday, and I saw many of you bringing down an offering. Now, does anyone, can someone tell me, where is this food going? Who's going to get this food? Can someone tell me? People, like 
what age is it going to be children it's children it's children in schools who have parents for whatever reason maybe they don't have a job or they live with their grandparents that cannot buy enough food to take care of them on the weekends and um, as Miss Lisa mentioned in the uh, video the little boy who needed the backpack this is what they get they get a backpack on Friday that they get to take home with them that's full of nutritious snacks. And then they bring it back on Monday, and we fill it up again, and it goes home again Friday for them. Um, and this is the first time that we have been able to really um, connect them to you in that if you would like to sponsor and pray for a child as well, uh, since this is our third year, we extended the ministry. Many of those families um, have been into our church at the uh, family Christmas party and the Easter egg hunt. So we ask permission to uh, for someone to pray for them and to get a copy of their yearbook picture. So I would just like encourage you to do that, um, to check that box on the little green um, insert that is in your bulletin. And uh, God has just really blessed this ministry, and we are just... Um, really doing what God has asked us to do, and that's to feed the, feed the hungry and clothe the poor. And so we're, we're just so thankful that, for your support. Um, and the children did a great job bringing offerings today. And um, it is Foo has the Happy Club bag, too. And I want to see what Foo has got in this Happy Club bag. It takes just a minute to get it out. All right, Foo, what is this? A football. A football. Do you, do you play football? Yes, boys and girls. Um, this football reminds me, can one person play football by themselves? No, it takes a whole team. And it, it is the same way with the Black Backpack Blessings Ministry. It takes a whole team of people to make it work. There are different people like Lisa Lacey who buys all the th food for us, helps us keep our food closet full. And there are all kind of volunteers that work together. And then all the people at First Baptist, so many people who give so we can buy that food and keep all those volunteers uh, in their prayers. And so just like Fu has to play football with other people and he can't just play right by himself, that's the same way that the Backpack Blessing Ministry works. So let's, if you will join me in prayer and everybody bow their head and have a seat and close their eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, we do just thank you just for loving us. And we just thank you for the example that Jesus set that shows us how to um, feed the hungry and care for the poor. And I just pray for each boy and girl that's receiving food that you just bless them and let them know that we love them and that you have a plan for them. And I pray for each boy and girl here. And I just thank you for a church body that's come alongside us to make this um, ministry possible. In your name we pray. And everyone said... Amen. All right, it is a girl's turn today, Foo, and I am going to give the bag to Kendall Homer. So, Kendall, will you bring it back next week? All right, boys and girls, you can go to Children's Church with Miss Sabina and Miss Vivian.
you will please take your hymnal and turn to hymn number 547, I Stand Amazed in the Presence. And please stand as we sing. pray. Heavenly Father, we just praise your name. We're just overwhelmed each day by your blessings. This week, the farmers are gathering their crops, and we've just had beautiful weather. We think nothing of coming into this church and worshiping freely with other Christians, yet we know it's not that way everywhere. I pray that we're using these blessings to your glory. Lord, Brother Wayne is about to bring us a message from your word. Let our hearts and our minds be open to receive it. I pray that we take these things he's teaching us and we try to live in your likeness. Lord, your love is bigger than we can, any, your love for us is bigger than anything we can imagine. Everything we have is yours and everything we are is because of you. I pray that we give our money and our gifts as unselfishly as Jesus did when he gave his life for us, for our sins. Amen.
Thank you, choir. We are in a preaching tour of the Bible and trying to pick out one section from each book that, uh, that I feel like God is speaking to us and wants to teach us something. And uh, this is an unusual subject. It's in Nehemiah chapter 9 and 10. And it's on commitment because our world today is so reluctant to make a commitment. People are hesitant to commit to anything and be held accountable. Not if they can, can get away with it or sidestep it in some way. And yet there are certain things that, that God calls us to commit because he knows the importance of it and of our sticking to it. Nehemiah 9.38, which is the last verse of that chapter, and then chapter 10, I'm going to skip the first few verses because those are the names of folks who make the commitment, and then we get down to verse 28. So Nehemiah 9.38, he writes, Because of all this, we make a firm covenant and write it, and our princes, our Levites, and our priests set their seal to it. Then he gives the list of all those who set their seal. 27 verses worth. Then verse 28. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brethren, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his ordinances and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. If the peoples of the land bring in wares or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. We will forgo the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also lay upon ourselves the obligation to charge ourselves yearly with a third part of a shekel, For the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the continual cereal offering, the continual burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel for all the work of the house of God. We have likewise cast lots, the priests, the Levites, and the people for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God, according to our father's houses at times appointed year by year to burn upon the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground, the first fruits of all fruit of every tree, year by year to the house of the Lord, also to bring to the house of our Lord, to the priest who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstlings of our herds and our flocks, and to bring the first of our coarse meal and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priest, to the chambers of the house of our God. And to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all rural towns. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. The Levites shall bring up the tithes of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers, and to the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where are the vessels of the sanctuary. And the priests that minister and the gatekeepers and the singers, we will not neglect the house of the Lord. That's a large section on tithing, isn't it? So basically, um, Nehemiah has called the people to make a commitment 
not to marry foreign wives, not to work on the Sabbath, and to keep the tithe. And they set their seal to do it. Shall we bow? Father, we are reluctant to even ask you what you want us to commit to because then we know we're obligated to respond. But I ask you today to make your will made known to us and once known to make a commitment to set our seal to it and nail it down and follow it for the rest of our lives. Wherever we are in our relationship with you, Father, help us this day to make a commitment to take one step more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a story about a man who bought a parrot, and the parrot must have belonged to an unsavory character before he bought it. It was a beautiful bird, but had a trash mouth. The parrot could let fly a string of curse words that would embarrass everyone around. The man loved the bird, but he was not going to put up with its, with its mouth or its beak or whatever you call it. He asked the bird to clean up his language. The parrot promised to try, but nothing happened. His swearing got worse in volume and frequency. The man got so frustrated one day, he, he grabbed the bird by the throat and shook it back and forth and said, stop cursing. And that just made the bird even madder and he swore even more. The man threw the bird into the kitchen cabinet. That only aggravated the bird, and it started clawing and scratching and making all kinds of racket. When he let it out, the bird let loose such a string of curse words that even the man blushed. He was so upset with the bird at that point that he took the bird and he threw it in the freezer. For a few moments, he heard the bird squawking and screaming and cursing, and then there was silence. The man waited, and he began to worry that maybe he'd left the bird in the freezer a little bit too long. After a few moments, he opened the freezer door, and that bird climbed calmly up on his arm and apologized. And the bird said, I am so sorry about all the trouble I have caused you, and I make a solemn promise and commitment to you today that I'm going to clean up my language from now on. Well, the man was completely startled, but, but very pleased. He couldn't believe the transformation that had come over this parrot as a result of being in the freezer for just a few minutes. But finally the parrot turned to the man and said, may I ask a question? And the man said, yes. And the parrot said, I noticed a chicken in there. What did he do? (laughs) You see, the point is, it's easy to make a commitment if you have the proper motivation. Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther all form one book in the Hebrew Bible, one scroll. They're all part of the same story. They come from the same time period in Israel's history. And and actually, they appear in our Bible in reverse order from the sequence of events in which they actually happened. In other words, Esther actually came first, and she was the queen who who prompted her king, her husband, the king, to make him willing to let the Jews return home to Jerusalem. So the king allowed Nehemiah, who, was, who happened to be his cupbearer, 
to return home and rebuild the walls of the city. And it actually says in Nehemiah 2.6, it's kind of an interesting phrase. It says, and the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? And, And I wonder if that parenthetical phrase the queen sitting beside him is not, is that a reference to Esther tying the books together? Well, after Nehemiah goes home and rebuilds the wall, then Ezra goes and rebuilds the temple. In the Bible, though, it's in reverse order. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Why did, why did the writers do that? I think it's because what's the most important to the writers? Most important was the temple. And so that comes first in Ezra. And then the walls around Jerusalem in Nehemiah. And then Queen Esther who softened the king's heart toward the Jews and made all this possible. Next week we'll look at Esther. The book of Nehemiah falls into two sections. Chapters 1 through 6 cover the rebuilding of the wall and all the obstacles Nehemiah faced in doing so. A lot of funny things happened. People were making fun of him. Uh, taunting him, tempting him. They tried to attack him and, and people were rebuilding the wall and some of them had to hold a sword to protect those who were rebuilding the wall. So it took a little bit longer than anticipated. In our passage today, though, in the last few chapters of Nehemiah, it deals with the reintroduction of the worship to the people because they had been in Babylon for 60, 80 years. In our passage this morning, when the temple has been rebuilt... Nehemiah is calling the people to several commitments to the Lord, recommitments to the Lord, to help them reinstitute the worship at the temple. There's an outline in your worship bulletin. I want to point out, first of all, that there is a reluctance in our world, in our society, to make a commitment today. We see it so much in people living together rather than getting married. We see it in lengthy legal documents written to try to close every possible loophole so that someone won't try to wiggle out of it one day. We see it in churches, people who are unwilling to join the church or make a profession of faith public or or commit to anything that might require something of them. In Nehemiah 10, the people are called to commitment and basically in these verses they're making three vows. The first is not to intermarry with sons and daughters from other lands, foreign lands. Do you remember why? This has been a recurring theme throughout the Old Testament. Because when you marry somebody from a foreign land, what do they do? They bring their God with them into Israel and tempt the Israelites to depart from worshiping the one true God. Every foreign God that has entered the country has come in through marriage with people from other lands. What's the saying? Bad company corrupts good character. And that's so true with Israel. The second vow they make has to do with keeping the Sabbath. The third vow has to do with their tithe. And most of of chapter 10 deals with the different kind of offerings that they commit to make to the Lord as part of their tithe. Now, if we were to take these three commitments and translate them into today's terms... What would they be? Well, the first one's pretty obvious, pretty simple. We pledge, we don't worry about intermarrying with other faiths, but we do worry about doing anything that would interfere with the worship of the one true God. 
Him alone do we serve. The second vow we make, we pledge to observe a day of worship and rest, acknowledging that God designed us in such a way to need a day apart from every other day of the week to worship Him and to rest. I heard a story about two men who were chopping wood and the younger man challenged the older man to a contest to see who could chop the most wood in the course of a day, sun up to sundown, stopping only briefly for lunch. Well, the young man worked feverishly throughout the day, stopping only once, but the older man ate a leisurely lunch and he took several breaks throughout the day. At the end of the day, the challenger was surprised and annoyed that this older guy who had stopped several times had actually chopped more wood than he had. He said, I don't get it. Every time I look over at you, you were taking a rest, and yet you chopped more wood than I did. And the winning woodsman replied, didn't you notice when I was sitting down to rest, I was also sharpening my axe. That's what the Sabbath means for you and me. God designed us to need rest and worship. So if you're feeling a bit dull today, schedule some more rest and worship into your life so that that sharpness can return. That's what the Sabbath means. The third vow still applies today as well. Bring faithfully a tithe into the storehouse. Are these vows hard to make? Of course they are or everybody would be doing them. But making a commitment to the Lord is important for a couple of reasons. Reasons to make a commitment. I can think of at least two, and you can probably think of more. First of all, making a commitment to the Lord brings focus to a decision. We sit here and we worship or we read our Bible and we, and we pray and we sense God leading us, speaking us, prodding us, in a certain direction, urging us to do something. But we don't act on it. We're afraid to commit. We're afraid to follow through on it. There was uh, several stories I can tell. Um, I remember a young man several years ago after an Easter worship service telling me that he was going to turn his life around. He was going to start bringing his family to church more often. He was going to leave work earlier and spend more time at home and treat his wife with respect and spend more time with his children and with tears in his eyes. He said he was going to turn his life around. And I said, brother, that sounds wonderful. Don't put it off. Start today. That was several years ago, and I think I've seen him in church two times since then. Why not? He never really committed to doing it. He recognized that the Lord was trying to tell him something, but he never made a commitment. We had a young man in church here a few months ago, and he came Sunday morning, he came back Sunday night, I was surprised to see him Wednesday night. And he said, Brother Wayne, I need to turn my life around. My brother's in jail, and I don't want to go down that path. And and friend, if you're watching by television today, I hope you hear me. He said, I I need a new group of friends. I need to to get away from those I've been running with or I'm going to end up like my brother. And I said, do you have a Bible that you can read? He said, no. I said, I'll get you a Bible and I'll have it here for you Sunday morning with your name on it. And that Bible has sat on this front pew for the last two months with his name on it because he has not returned. 
when we make a commitment to something, we make it specific. We nail it down. And, and by sharing it publicly, we are asking other people to hold us accountable. But when we don't commit, it's easy not to do what we feel the Lord leading us to do. And that's the easy path. That's the path of good intentions. And you know where they lead. The second reason that we need to make a commitment is because it shows our love. When we commit to someone, like to a spouse in marriage, or to to the Lord, or, or to a church, we're telling them that we're not going to rely just on feelings anymore. That we're going to do whatever it takes to maintain that commitment, even when we don't feel like it. Because feelings can be so fickle. And if we, if we live our lives based on feelings, it'll be like a roller coaster. That's why commitments make life stable and give us a solid foundation on which to stand. Sometimes in my premarital counseling, sometimes, all the time, I talk about the difference between love and commitment because I'm so feel so strongly that this is important. Love is an emotion, and it is based in the heart. And like all emotions, it fluctuates. Like, it's like a roller coaster. And some days you'll be blissfully in love with, with your spouse, and other days, you know, you'll have a hard time speaking to them. And relationships that are based on love, you know... It just changes from day to day, and it's no way to base a long-term relationship. Commitment, however, is a decision. Love is an emotion based in the heart. Commitment is a decision based in the brain. It is steady, and it is stable. And the emotion of love, I am convinced, brings people together and gets them married. But it requires the decision of commitment, the steady, stable decision of commitment to keep people married. God did that for us. He gave us an example. He showed us his love for us by keeping his commitments to us and his covenants, even when we don't live up to our end of the bargain. That's what the whole Old Testament is about, the old covenant, how God continually gave himself to the children of Israel and and how they, they loved him and then they fell away and then they repented and came back and then they fell away and repented and came back. And that's what most of the prophets are going to be about when we get to them in the Old Testament. And eventually God, because Israel had forsaken the covenant again, God formed a new covenant through Jesus, the New Testament, which was so much better than the old And Jesus offers it to us. And all we have to do is admit our need for it and receive it and say thank you. Let me make another statement here that I I think is really important. And I wish I had typed it down for you to, to keep. You might want to write this down. Our commitments, don't go out of here and try to make a commitment under your own power or by your own strength because you will never be able to do so. We don't succeed as Christians because we make commitments or promises to God. Listen to me. We succeed because we believe the promises that God has made to us and we act on them. 
We don't make promises to God. We succeed when we believe God's promises to us and act on them. Some of us here this morning have never really gotten serious in our walk with God. And the reason why is because we've never acted on the promises that he has made to us. We know there's something that God is calling us to do, but we never commit specifically to doing it. We never follow through. So the first step is to believe God and trust his promises and respond to it. So where do you start? What should we commit to? First of all, I know God's will for every one of us is to have a personal relationship with him through Jesus Christ. That is first base. That's where everyone has to start. No matter where it might lead you, I know that's one thing he's asking everybody to do. But from that point on, what God's will is for your life is an individual thing. And you're going to have to work that out between you and him. Start reading the Bible. Start asking God what he wants you to do. And then when he reveals it to you, obey him. It's not complicated. You start with being obedient in the things that he has revealed to you right where you are. Right where you understand the Bible is telling you to do something. And then as God, through Bible study, through spending time with him, reveals more and more of himself to you, commit to being obedient to that. But I can promise you one thing from personal experience. God is not going to reveal to you any more until you're obedient in what you already know. Did you follow that? God's not going to reveal to you any more until you're obedient and what you already know. Why not? Because if you're not obedient in what you already know, by revealing more to you, he's just increasing your disobedience. So don't ask him, God, what great thing do you want me to do a year from now? What great thing do you want me to do for you a mile down the road? Instead, ask him, God, what small thing do you want me to be obedient in right here? right now that you have revealed to me today. And when you take that step of faith, the next step is revealed, and the next step, and the next step. So start right where you are. Commit what he's already revealed to you to be obedient in. It's tough, and I'll tell you why. Because commitment is all about surrender. And our pride interferes with surrender. Our pride tells us that we don't need to surrender to God, that we can get by just fine on our own. But you know we can't. You know that's a lie. And until we get to the point where we can realize and acknowledge that God's way is better than our way, until we can humble ourselves and submit our will to the will of God, we will never surrender to Him and make any commitments. And if our hearts aren't fully seeking after Him, we'll never be able to experience the true victory that is available for every follower of Jesus Christ. And there are too many Christians today who are out there living mediocre lives because they refuse to surrender their lives to God. Instead, They have chosen to follow their own inferior will 
where they could be experiencing the true riches of God's grace. Pride is what interferes with our willingness to surrender. But when you get to the point where you can say, God, I've pretty well made a mess of things on my own. Forgive me. I'm turning my life over to you today to be my Savior and Lord. And I commit myself to following you wherever it might lead. That's when your relationship with God begins to take off. Where are you? Are you growing? Are you on a siding? Are you moving slowly? Are you stopped altogether? Wherever you are, commit yourself to God. Surrender to His perfect will. Set your pride aside and give Him your all today. Shall we bow together? Father, you have promised us so much. You have offered us so much and you have committed to us so much. And you're just waiting patiently for us to believe and respond. But that means setting our pride aside. And that's difficult to do because pride is... Satan's favorite tool and our worst sin. And we think that we can control our own lives pretty well and get by without you. But then we make a mess of things. Or maybe we're just tired of living mediocre lives as Christians. And we've come to that point where we want to commit to you our lives our futures and our wills, whatever it might be. Father, reveal to us what you want us to do and give us the courage to make a commitment to follow. Here we are. Lord, take us and use us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn of decision this morning is number 486, and I know it's hard to make a decision public. I know it's one thing to profess your faith privately, maybe kneeling beside your bed or with a a trusted friend in Christ. That's good. That's That's a great thing to start. But God also asks us to commit publicly to Him. And we do that by opening the doors of fellowship and offering an invitation, asking you to respond publicly. Professing your faith, rededicating.